Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and if I haven't said it to you already, Happy New Year to all of the supporters and followers out there, all the listeners. We hope you all had a great holiday season, and we wish you nothing but blessings and success in the new year. We want you all to come on this journey alongside with us. And again, we thank you all for all of your support. Thank you for rocking all of us as we continue into our third full year as we make the round going into the fourth anniversary of The Vault in 2023. So we want to thank you all for joining us on this journey and for continuing to support us and also spread the word. Guys, the numbers have been great this past year. 2022 was massive. but We want to make 2023 even bigger. And we got some big things lined up for y'all. I can't wait to show y'all some of the things that we have lined up and some of the segments we plan on having. We want to make this show more and more interactive. And we are promising more components so that you can be interactive with us. So stay with us and stay tuned with all the things that we have going on. A quick reminder, you can visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com, our website. You can go there and listen to our back catalog, leave a voice note, also leave a review, check out all the information on me and, of course, our past guests. And you can also support us at Buy Me A Coffee at the coffee cup in the bottom left-hand corner to leave a monetary donation to support the show. Again, that's vaultclassicpod.com. All of our streaming sources are there and, of course, all of our social media pages where you can connect with us there as well. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics and MBTC. And as we round the corner here into 2023, we like to look back just a little bit. And as we start the year, we always want to begin a new calendar year by giving you a preview of what you can expect here at The Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast by looking at the years that we're covering. And this year on The Vault, we are looking back 20, 25, and 30 years to the years of 1993. 1998 and 2003 and I'm telling you we're very excited to unveil these years the albums and the moments that shaved your lives during those years we can't wait to get into it and so this first edition that we have is our series that we call the year that was and first up on the docket is the first year that we'll cover which is 1993 now when the year that was we like to take a look at history some of the things that happened historical moments that happened and touch on a few highlights Then we also take a look at the music that was during that year to give you an idea of what it is we'll cover on The Vault during some podcasts, some bonus segments, and also some guest spots on other podcasts as well. Without further ado, let's get right into the year of 1993. Now in 1993, your boy B. Cox was still in the fifth grade, getting ready to finish the fifth grade. And that year was a crazy year. Just to start off in January of that year, Bill Clinton, who was elected in November of 1992, was inaugurated as president of the United States. Now, for those of y'all who are citizens of the United States and were old enough to be around during that time, that kicked off a, I would say, interesting, a very tumultuous time in U.S. history. And for some people, a very successful financially and for some people politically time during those eight years that Bill Clinton occupied the White House. Now, we'll get into 
a couple of different things during the year that was as we go into 1998. And for those of you all who are listening to me, the words Bill Clinton in 1998, you should know exactly what it is that I'm referring to. <laughs> we'll just leave that at that. But the inauguration of Bill Clinton was a big thing. It was the first time that a Democratic president was elected to the White House in more than 12 years after eight years of Ronald Reagan and four years of George H.W. Bush. The first time that a Democrat had taken office, there was a big elaborate inauguration. Maya Angelou gave her famous poem, of course, from the steps of the Capitol that morning. And it was a very big celebration, probably one that we didn't see as big of a celebration until the first black president, Barack Obama, was given when he was inaugurated in January of 2009. So then we moved to February. This is another thing that is a very dark period of history, but something that I feel like I have to remember because I remember seeing the news reports when I was in school. The very first World Trade Center attack, the bombing that happened in February of 1993, that took place. Um, for those of us who remember that, we remember seeing the images on the news of all the images of people coming out and, you know, the smoke and everything else and people with soot and stuff on their faces. It was bad. And so that World Trade Center attack happened in February of 93. We thought that was as bad as a terrorist attack that could happen. But we were wrong. We were woefully wrong. and We would be proven so woefully wrong only eight years later, unfortunately. In April, for those of y'all who remember as well, David Koresh, the Branch Davidian cult, which was in Waco, Texas, is one of the things that how I came to know the city of Waco is by those reports in the news of this cult that David Koresh, who was this sort of fundamentalist religious leader that had taken a cult. And for those who remember during that time, it was a very controversial figure. Eventually what happened is the ATF ended up breaching that compound, which was in Waco. It killed 76 people, including David Koresh himself. And there was a lot of fallout that came as a result of that because there were this the images we saw on the news there as well of the compound on fire. And that was a big story for years because that standoff lasted a number, I wouldn't say at least like weeks it lasted between the feds and David Koresh and that cult, the people who were inside that compound. The nineties were a wild time. The eighties and nineties were a wild time for people that were dealing with cults. And, you know, you deal with that. And a few years later, you had like the whole heaven's gate cult, a wild time in the country. And that was one of the first ones that I was actually cognizant of while in school, a couple of sports teams definitely made history that year. So we had two sports teams that completed repeat like title performances. The first one, of course, the Chicago Bulls, who wrapped up their first three-peat by defeating the Phoenix Suns in the finals, in a great final series, by the way, 4-2 to two in the 1993 NBA Finals. All of us who remember, whether you were there or you watched The Last Dance or archival footage, know that John Paxson had that three-pointer that gave the Bulls the lead and they closed out that game. Michael Jordan, MVP of that series, and a lot of us didn't know at that time not too long after that, that summer, later on that summer, before the season, 1993-94 season began, Michael Jordan actually retired from basketball the first time. So that was definitely a very big shock that Michael Jordan was retiring from basketball after being in the league. I want to say at that point had been in about maybe eight or nine years. And the fact that he's retiring so abruptly, seemingly at the height of his game was a big shock to so many of us, not just in the sports world. It was a national and international news story that he was retiring. Another repeat performance, the Toronto Blue Jays defeating the Phillies 4-2 in the World Series. The big highlight of this, Mitch Williams giving up Joe Carter's walk-off home run to win the World Series for the Blue Jays, who were repeating as World Series champions. 
And we all remember that highlight of Joe Carter running around the bases, jumping up and down, his fist in the air. It was classic, like absolutely classic. You don't forget those scenes. Those two championship moments, the Bulls in 93 and the Blue Jays in 1993, absolutely classic and things that I'll never forget. But this is a music show. So we're going to get into the hip hop highlights and of some of the things that you can expect of what we'll cover in 1993 in hip hop music. And man, was it an absolutely huge year. So just to give you an idea of the albums that came out during this time. And I would say I was a fan of hip hop music, but after this year is when I actively got involved in going out to go get my own music because I was so blown away by the music for this year. Now, we talked about the West Coast starting to assert its control at the end of 1992, heading into 1993 with the release of The Chronic. Well, on The Chronic, you got your first taste of what would become the phenomenon that was Snoop Doggy Dogg. He was one of the most anticipated acts to be released out of Death Row and probably out of hip hop since its beginning because he was such a hot prospect. He really captured all of our attention on The Chronic and people could not wait to have Snoop with the album of his own. Well, in 1993, he released his debut album, The Classic Doggy Style. And when I'm telling you that Snoop became a force in hip hop with the release of this album, this album became not just a huge hit in hip hop music. It became a huge hit in the music industry overall. The release week numbers for this album, which I'll get to you in just a second, were absolutely insane. And it set the stage for Snoop to become a huge music star on a scale of a career that's lasted now well over 30 years. Now, we talk about the first week numbers of Doggy Style. Let me just give you an idea of what those numbers were. Now, <laughs> people have big weeks in hip hop, but the first week numbers of Doggy Style were completely out of this world. First week numbers, 802,858 records moved on the first week. The next biggest opening in 1993, Black Sunday, Cypress Hill. That moved 261,000 units in a week. Insane. <laughs> so he sold almost 600,000 more copies than the next biggest opening week selling album of that year. It's just mind boggling. But if you were around during that time and if you were aware of what was going on, you understand why it was so big. Snoop was one of the more anticipated acts and debut acts to come out of hip hop in a long time. And the hype was definitely worth the wait. But he wasn't the only big act to drop in 1993. Another group, another cultural phenomenon which dropped in 1993 coming out of Staten Island a group that helped to sort of reassert New York and the East Coast footing in the rap game was the Wu-Tang Clan and their debut album, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Again, cultural phenomenons that come along that you can recognize and you see almost 30 years after they've dropped, how big of impact they've had on the hip-hop world, on pop culture, the fact that there's this Hulu series out there now documenting their rise in hip-hop, not just woo together as a group and a collective, but all of their affiliates, also all of the individual members making an impact on hip hop individually. Method Man, Raekwon, Ghostface Killer, Inspector Deck, Jizza, Rizza, the old dirty bastard. <laughs> just to name a few. The group really set things in motion. And when I went to the Rock the Bells concert to see them all together in 2010, when Peter Rosenberg was hosting that, he did say that when this album came out, it changed fucking hip hop. And it really did. It really changed hip hop. 
But that was a huge cultural phenomenon. But we get a little bit deeper into 1993. You want to talk about an album that moved the meter for me? It was none other than Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders. I mean, when this album dropped, I was already a big Tribe fan based off the Low End Theory. And while many people will give the Low End Theory their credit, I actually think that the Midnight Marauders album is the album that made Tribe as popular as they were when they took that break after this album. Midnight Marauders is why I think that Beats, Rhymes, and Life became such a big success because the hits on this album, the deep album cuts on this album, my goodness, and the fact that Midnight Marauders and Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers dropped on the very same day. Talk about having to go through a decision if you only got 10 to 12 bucks to spend and you got to get one album and you can only choose one. I wouldn't envy anybody being put in that position. But let's get a little bit deeper. You have other albums, Black Moon, Enter the Stage, from the Duck Down Click, talking about Buckshot, Evil D. These dudes definitely did their thing. I mean, another East Coast album helping to reassert themselves back into the stage where the West Coast sort of asserted their dominance. Another group dropping during that time. Onyx with Back the Fuck Up. Slam, Throw Your Guns. This group with dudes with bald heads. They were loud. They were boisterous. They were energy filled. It was something that when I was a fifth grader, Slam was a huge hit amongst all the guys in school. Even as fifth graders, it was crazy, right? We talked about Cypress Hill Black Sunday. The Cypress Hill debut album was big in 1991. But this Black Sunday album, I think, helped to break them further into the public consciousness to where the point they became, I want to say, one of the best and also, at the same time, one of the most underrated groups in history. I think that when we talk about best groups in hip-hop history, Cypress Hill is a group that does not receive enough credit and they're standing upon the best groups in hip-hop history as a result of what they did. But other albums we look at that which came out. KRS-One, Return of the Boom Pop, very big album. A lot of people will say was KRS's First album that he released as not a member of Boogie Down Productions. You know, KRS came out with these albums under the title of Boogie Down Productions. This was KRS-One. This was his album, Return of the Boom Bop, Sound of the Police, classic. Then you have Salt and Pepper, Very Necessary. Very commercial album, but without a doubt, a very big album. Five million copies sold of this album over time. And the hits on here... Shoot, what a man. I mean, those are some of their biggest hits. And this is Salt and Pepper we're talking about. Another album as well out there, Ice Cube, Lethal Injection. Now, this is a point in time when Cube has released albums back to back to back years. He has America's Most Wanted, has the EP, Kill It Well, then comes out with Death Certificate, then drops The Predator the year before. And this is like the last album in that series that Ice Cube records before he goes on his break. Now, he would record things for soundtracks like with Friday uh, for Natural Born Killers. He did with Dre. But during that juncture after Lethal Injection is when Cube started to dabble in movies. He was in The Glass Shield. Of course, he co-wrote and helped to produce Friday and starred in Friday. So he's starting to pick up his movie career, Players Club, all those before. And it becomes almost another five years before Ice Cube drops another album, you know, solo album at that. So all these albums have come out, these, these hip-hop albums, essential or classic albums. But then we get into R&B. And the R&B year in 1993 is absolutely insane. Just to give you a rundown of a couple of the albums that came out that we'll be attempting to cover at The Vault this year. Tony, 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 Sons of Soul, <laughs> Anniversary, Slow Wine, a very interesting story around the recording of that album. 
you have Janet Jackson's Janet album. Man, an album that definitely was a cultural force, an album that many people will say is probably her best album and really showed us, I want to say, truly the grown up and sexually liberated Janet, which is a story that we'll get into for many of us who saw the Janet documentary last year will tell you that was probably a reason why the album was so successful. You have the debut album of none other than Tony Braxton, self-titled, which was a force. And she burst onto the scene really out of nowhere, I want to say. And she captured everybody's hearts with her voice. Plenty of classic hits on that album. Just really a great project. Mariah Carey's Music Box. She continues her run during the early to mid-90s. She was not missing. As a matter of fact, give her the whole decade of the 90s she didn't miss. She definitely had things on lock. Jodeci with Diary of a Mad Band, their follow-up to Forever My Lady. This is an album that many people will say, again, many people who, depending on who you talk to, will feel as though Diary of a Mad Band was a better overall album than Forever My Lady. Now, do they have the classic tracks on there? No, but I think people will say that this is a more even-toned album though the tenor of this album was a little bit more even than Forever My Lady. But, you know, it all depends on who you talk to. The Wonderkin, Tevin Campbell himself, I'm ready. <laughs> Those of us who know how big Tevin Campbell was during that time, I will tell you, from a guy who was in fifth grade, look, girls absolutely loved Tevin Campbell and his songs. They did. You could never go wrong if you were a boy trying to impress a girl by attempting to turn on some Tevin Campbell, or if you had some vocals attempting to sing Tevin Campbell. Oh, yeah. That's how a girl knew that you liked her. <laughs> so that was huge, man. He was a, He was definitely a force during that time. I had a conversation with my brother-in-law the other day about how talented that guy was. We really, some of us may have forgotten just how talented that dude was, man. He was insane with his vocals. And another one, Xgate with Humming Coming At You. Man, to be an R&B group during the early 90s, we talked about SWV last year, In Vogue, TLC. Xgate is another one that came out there that definitely burst onto the scene. Whew, man, I'm telling you. This was a crazy year, 1993 R&B wise. We started to get into that period where the music started to change. We talked about it last year with the R&B reps and with Brian Alexander Morgan, what SWV's It's About Time did. I felt like this year was sort of a continuation of that as we moved into a new era of R&B music. But that's 1993, y'all. Just an idea of what you can expect this year of music that we're going to be covering you heard the names 36 chambers midnight marauders 93 till infinity by souls of mischief doggy style into the stage back the fuck up black sunday return of the boom bop lethal injection and all those r&b albums we just named right there man i mean you can only imagine just the type of reviews we'll have and the perspectives we'll have with those albums now that they are turning 30 years old this year which is crazy for me to even say that but it's going to be a big year. We look forward to hearing from all of you on all of our reviews. You tuning in, you giving your feedback, your perspectives, you letting us know what those albums meant to you. We can't wait to bring it all to you here at the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. So join us on the journey, and we can't wait to interact with you all about these classics in these times of our lives. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show, check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review, or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left-hand corner 
to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.